Greetings in the wonderful name of Jesus. What an honor for me to be at your house today or in the bus or in the car, wherever you're listening to this, and to just share with you the message of God's unconditional love in the area of finances. I'm very passionate about this message and I want to see people really being set free, especially after I've really come to understand this verse and and it was just building up in my heart to the point that I felt that I can't but preach passionately about this. And uh, let us just read the verse. It's in 1 Timothy 6 verse 10. It says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, while which while some coveted or desired it, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Unfortunately, I think that is what's happening today. It is maybe not willful, but it does happen. If something is not willful, doesn't make it more, uh, more or less deadly. It is equal deadly. A willful, willful, uh, um, a person that willfully preaches something wrong or something, someone that is deceived and preaches the very same thing, the result at the end is exactly the same. So um, my passion is to see that people can be set free from this. Now, uh, we're going to look at this love of money just for the first part, and then we're going to um, also just quickly touch on the unconditional care that God has for us, and then how we live, live as Christians. And after that, we're going to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 7, and uh, we're going to look at the tithe of Melchizedek. Now, the reason I want to look at that is because it is something that is brought over from the old system into modern, modern day uh, grace Christian churches, where we still sit with a system that, uh, you know, we need to tithe based on Abraham that was under grace. And we're going to look as if Abraham was under grace. Right, First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, this is what it says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, uh, if we say the love of money is the root of all evil, then all evil's root is the love of money. Let me say it again. If we say, and if the Bible says, the love of money is the root of all evil, then all evil's root is the love of money. Now, where does this come from? How could Paul write something like that? Um, I, I believe it refers to Ezekiel 28, where it talks about this uh, king, which is the type of Satan and how he fell. And I want to read to you how he fell. The Bible says here, by the multitude of your merchandise, they filled the midst of you with violence and you have sinned. Your heart was lifted up because of the beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. Now, here is a being that is made by God, made perfect in the day that he was made, and had this wonderful ability. And I like, you know, I just like the way it is used here. Um, this is an earthly king. Uh, which lived, I don't know when, but he lived on the earth some thousands of years ago. And, uh, you know, God, you know, made this king and then used what was happening, the physical there, to really explain to us what was going on in the spirit and what was going on in the fall of Satan, how Satan actually deceived Adam, how Adam fell, and how that system tried to come onto Jesus when he was in the desert. And now Satan's devices, we know his devices, we know how he function, and he wants to put the very same thing on us today. And sad to say, he's still getting it right in some instances, even in, um, you know, in, in, in 
people that are passionately loving God. And we need to see this, uh, this freedom come into our life. So I've been, you know, passionately caring about the things of God and still found that there are so many areas of my life where I was under legalism and law. And it just brought death to me. I want to say it again, it just brought death to me. There was no life in it, there was no joy in it. And uh, the, the worst thing of all is when you want to walk out of it and be free, you always feel lonely, you feel there's nobody backing you, there's nobody around you, yet there are thousands that feel the way you feel. And uh, when you just give the first step, you find that others follow and they are also thankful for the freedom. Right. Uh, if we look at Ezekiel here, I want to read, read Ezekiel here. It says, By the multitude of the merchandise, they have filled the midst of you with violence, and you have sinned. Therefore I will cast you out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. So here he says, he says, By the multitude of your merchandise, they have filled your midst, or the very core of you, with violence. That violence also means with what is wrong. So it says here that this being, because of the abundance of his merchandise, in other words, how effective he could be in business, uh, in other terms it would be how successful he was. His success went to his heart. Heart or your core there talks about your belief. His very core, his very belief was, was started to, to revolve around the success that God has already given him. Now that is amazing. In verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by the reason of your brightness. Do you see here that the good used in a wrong way or using good to define you, using good to drive you, and, and I'll explain what I'm saying now, can corrupt your wisdom. So what happens here is the root of all legalism and law and death came from the system where a person already possessed everything and then from the everything he possessed, he looked at what he possessed, that which he possessed started to form his belief and from that belief, his wisdom, his way of thinking, his reasoning was corrupted. Now, if we have that in our, in our lives... And I want to tell you, a lot of us struggle with this. If we have that in our lives, our wisdom will be corrupted. So, when we go and we look for wisdom, the, we will look at the wisdom of God. But if we look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21, it says here, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So here, what it's actually saying is that your wisdom, which sounds very, very wise to you, which looks like this is it, this is what God is showing me, you know, by that wisdom you might not even know, or it might be what stops you from knowing the very wisdom of God. Now, I think what happens is, if we come with a mindset and the belief that um, abundance of stuff, or greatness in this world, or um, let's, let's get it closer. Reaching more people or having a bigger church or having many ministries and all those kind of things forms what you believe about 
yourself and about what success is in this life, your wisdom will be corrupted. You will read the Bible and you will think it's God speaking to you, but it will not be God. It will be the voice of your corrupted wisdom and you'll have scripture for your wisdom. Like the Pharisees and the scribes had scriptures for their wisdom, but by that very wisdom they found in the Bible, they didn't know God. Because God has got a different kind of a wisdom. Now, uh, let me look at it this way. I want to ask you a question. And this is especially for leaders, this program. <clears throat> Why do you have a church? Is it because God told you you must have one? Why do you want your church to grow? Why do we want a big church? All those things you need to ask yourself. Now, I want to say this. I'm not against having a big church. And I do believe we can have a big church. I do believe we can have thousands of people that we can reach, uh, you know, by what we do. But why do you want the big church? Why, why can't you just be happy with what you have? And just be fully content with that. And if nothing ever changed, you'd be, you'd be happy. What makes you want big? What does big mean? These questions you must ask yourself. If you look at a big ministry, do you feel in your heart more awe towards a preacher that's got a big ministry than a person that's got a small ministry? Would you pay more respect to a person that's got a big ministry than a small ministry in your heart? I'm just talking about if you're walking up to somebody, you know, that reaches thousands. I've, I've seen people walk up to me and, and when, they, when I start to talk to them, they don't know what to say. You know, why is it like that? Some people can say, man, but this person has meant so much to me and I'm so blessed and hallelujah. Uh, or is it, well, this guy, you know, reaches 50,000 people a day or whatever it is. Why? What is the thing that wants to make us have something big? Why do we desire big? Why do we want big? The Bible says here, the love of money is the root of all evil. And I look at that love of money. I take it to, to, to Ezekiel. We see that talks about abundance of merchandise. But what he also talks about there is by the reason of your brightness, you know, it went to your heart. What happened is Satan fell, he sold that system to Adam, and Adam lost it all. And now that he has lost it, you know, we, we've got this thing in us that we need to have it back. And our whole life's drive is to have that back. We want to have a big church. We want to have a big ministry. We want to have big, big, big. Everything is big. Now, like I say again, I don't have a problem if something becomes very big. And I want to use a verse in the Bible here in Timothy to just um, uh, 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 confirm what I'm saying here. It says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Here we can see that we can pierce ourselves through with many sorrows in Loving money. Now, what is the love of money? How, let's define the love of money. But they that want to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Those that want to be rich. Do you want to be rich? Those that want to be rich fall into temptation 
and a snare. Meaning, if you want to be rich, you're going to be tempted to go to the law. Wanting to be rich means you're in the desert. Meaning, you're going to now hear the voice of the devil. Now, you might say, I'm going to switch this off right now. I want to ask you to sit through, because I, I, I'm not settling for poverty. I'm not settling for... Um, you know, having nothing or anything like that. I do believe that we can reach millions of people and that we can see large ministries in the world. I don't have anything against a large ministry. But just sit through and hear what I'm saying here. But they that want to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And now listen to this. And into many foolish and hurtful, hurtful lusts which drawn men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. So here he comes and he talks about something that includes all evil. Every bit of evil. So this kind of a system basically had to exist before there was even money. Because we know evil was from Adam's time and even before Adam in Satan there was something evil there. Now all of that evil comes from a system of, I want to be rich. Why? Because a life, and this is what I'm talking about, the satanic system, where your life is defined in your riches. I want to be rich. Now let's take money out of the equation anymore. Let's talk about people. I want to be, I want to be rich in how big my ministry is. For, say all the money is provided for free. You, you don't have to get any money from anybody or ever ask for money ever. And you now... Why do you want big? Why do you say, I need to have many churches? You want to be rich in the amount of churches you have. You want to be rich in how the quality of your band. You want to be rich in all those kind of things. Why? Because that can lead you into temptation and a snare. That can lead you into something where your mind gets corrupted by that way of thinking. Let me give you an example. If I say, I must have a very big stage, and I'm, I, I feel, man, I just must reach the millions, you know. Is it, is it wrong to reach millions? No. But if I say, I want to be rich in how many people I reach. I, I can't be happy with just reaching the one across the street. I can't be happy in just reaching my family. I can't be, find fullness of joy in that, you know, if I must come to a point where I think, well, I will never in my life ever reach millions, I can never be happy. I see joy as something postponed. I see, I, I, I'm missing the moment and I'm chasing after some vision. And I'm, I'm attacking some, something here, and, which is core of our belief, but that's very important to understand, because should you, not, should you have that corrupted wisdom in you, and we're going to look at Abraham and the tithe there, you will not be able to see the freedom you know, that I want to bring you there. Now let me just repeat this. If I want, and, and use the example, this complete example here, if I say I want to reach millions, why do I want to reach millions? Because it's just a passion in my heart to reach the millions? Why, do I, why can't I settle for a church of 300 or 150? Why must it be a 5,000? God told me to have a 5,000-seated church. I want to tell you, I, can, I, 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 I beg to differ. I cannot think that I haven't seen the apostles in the beginning where they say, well, God told us that we must have a, a, a 5,000 seat of church, you know, in 
Jerusalem. They just got stuck there in Jerusalem where God says, go and preach wherever. Go and preach all over the world. Make disciples of all people. Just go and preach. Preach to this one. And the life that is in that one will reach the other one, will reach the other one. You know, if I look at the ministry I have, there was a time when I was chasing big and my wisdom was corrupted. I started to read scripture in a way to get people to fund what I want to do. And then with, with subtlety, actually manipulating them to start to fund the vision that God has given me. And if they didn't want to fund that, I was upset with them. Because I thought, can't you hear God? Can't you see that we must reach people? When we look at the Apostle Paul, we never see him ever doing any of those things. Yet he had money, yet he had a, a very, very effective ministry, yet he reached many nations, yet he reached millions if we look at his ministry and what happened in his ministry until today. So I'm not against big. I am talking about by what wisdom are we building the big? That's what I'm talking about. And you know, even in my preach here, um, and just living in this world and, and being amongst leaders and, 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 you know, it's difficult to say, why do you want big? Because the moment you start to talk like that, you, it, it's like, what's this guy saying? You know, is he crazy? Did he smoke something? You know, but when we look at the wisdom that was corrupted in Satan, he had everything. And then the stuff went to his heart. And then he started to believe. His belief system was influenced by his brightness, his beauty, and all the beautiful things influenced his belief. And that caused him to fall from the level of God, to fall from the fiery stones, to be cast out of the high place. God has got a high place for us and doesn't want us to fall from there by having corrupted wisdom by having a heart, a belief system that is wrong. Now, if I come and I say, you know, um, let's, let's look at this verse again, but they that want to be rich, or they that want to have big ministry, fall into temptation and a snare, and to many foolish and hurtful lusts. I want to say that. I've seen it as a thing in the church, you know, and, and, and I love the church, and I want to say this boldly and straight out. When you chase after big, you are more open to be tempted to get people to fund your vision and then you are tempted and you are, you are open to the deception. Now remember, when, when a person deceived, you think it's right. You know, and your motive can be poor. But you will not be able to see the light because you are veiled by a belief that bigger is better. I'm not saying that we cannot have a big church. I want to say that again. I'm not saying we cannot have a big church and I'm not saying we cannot reach thousands of people or millions of people. What I'm saying is we need to look at the core from where, what is the foundation from where we built. Is it not, you know, I must have big. He that wants to be rich, they that want to be rich, fall into temptation, means you are drawn away by desire. I want this. I want big. Now I'm drawn away by this desire for big. Okay? And now I am tempted to get into legalism to make this thing work because I, I don't believe God funds something and is behind and support something that kills. This is what the Bible says. God is not mocked. 
if you sow to the flesh, don't think you're going to reap life from the flesh and legalism. That's mocking the work where God says, I'll give you life for free. It says, those that want to be rich or those that want big, they fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which draw men in destruction and perdition, for the love of man is the root of all evil. I want to read from verse, uh, verse, verse 5. Now let me read from verse 3. If any man teaches otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, and doting about questions and strife and words, Whereof comes envy, strife, railings, evil, submersings. Perverse disputings of men, listen to this, of corrupt minds. Do you see the corrupted wisdom? And destitute of the truth, supposing that much is godliness or gain is godliness. From such withdraw yourself. Now, this is financial gain is godliness. I also don't think that we can say that the more people that's drawn to your church, that means you're godly. Any kind where we say, well, gain is godliness. Why, why if we say gain is godliness, is it corrupted wisdom? Because of the satanic system where we look at the things that was given, which he had received for free, and then when he received it for free, he thought, and, and what God gave him, he thought that this defines my godliness. This defines who I am. This defines my righteousness. You know, because of this, I, I find my, my life constructed in these things. And we find that in our lives today, a, a lot of it. But God, listen to this. It says, if you think that gain is godliness, you know, it is corrupt. You, you, you are loving money. If you think that bigger is better, that system, and this is what I believe, is born from I'm defined that good is in much. So much defines good. Much defines blessedness. I know this challenges so many people, but please listen to this and have your heart challenged because look at the next verse. But godliness with contentment is Great gain. And the word gain there is the very same Greek word as gain in verse 5, supposing that gain is godliness, which here talks about financial gain. And we can also, in the context that I'm preaching this, talking about church members, talking about churches and all those kind of things. Gain can never define your godliness. But godliness with being content. Content is talking about this want for more in this sense, saying no need to add anything. If I look at the church that I have now, if I look at the size of my ministry, I feel I've got no need that anything has to be added to this. I've got no need that in my heart saying, well, I need this to grow. No, I don't need this. I'm happy with what I have. I am truly enjoying every moment of this. And do you know what I find? I find our church grows. I find that we just find more people watching our, our uh, uh, broadcasts. I find that I've got to go onto another server because they're overloading the one we had. We find thousands of people watching our stuff. We find people saying to Betty, you know, I will write books for you for free. We will publish stuff for you. We will do this. We will do that. We find invitations from all over. It's just amazing, you know. It, it, it's just, it's as if, Godliness 
you know, where we find our being not based on the stuff, but on Him. And being happy with what we have, not chasing after the more or lusting after more. Lust we've made only for stuff or, or we've only made it for, for money or woman or men, sexual. But lust is the desire for more all the time. Once you can say, I thank God that I enjoy this moment in sharing with one. That's enough for me. I've found so many times that we are so chasing after the big that we cannot enjoy life. And we live life corrupted. And when our wisdom is not contentment, but gain, we become corrupted and we cannot see the truth. And we will start to look for any little bit of, um, any little, in Afrikaans, it's a story Olympi, the smallest little thing to save your life where you want the more. And I believe that we're gonna, we, we can look at the tithe of Abraham because when I look at the tithe of Abraham and I look at the New Testament church and you look from a perspective of contentment and I mean, I've, I've got a growing ministry, you know, reaching more and more people every day. Um, even our church, we're starting even another church. You know, so it's, it's like, my goodness, it's growing. But I see it happens as a fruit of the gospel. I'm not chasing after it. It is a fruit. That's what happens. And I want to challenge you and I want to submit to you to, to go and check the motive of your heart before God in your room alone. I remember one day a person, a person said to me, um, you know, he wrote a book on tithing. And after he wrote the book, uh, he, he, he sent it for endorsement. And this pastor with a, a nice church endorsed it. And uh, then he was just about to publish the book. And uh, then he watched me on TV. And, uh, he, he, and I was preaching on the tithe. Now, I thank God for that station. I mean, they don't believe what I believe, but they don't take me off for preaching what I preach. And um, this person listened, and he became so upset. He was so angry, and he had such rage inside him. He, he switched the TV off, he went into the room, and he was shouting and saying, I never want to see this guy ever again. He's just wrong in what he says. He's deceiving the church. He's a deceiver. And he became so upset, and he was in the room shouting. And he says, God, you know, why do I become so upset, thinking that it's, it's like a holy anger or something? And then God said to him, because that guy is right and you're wrong. And he phoned me up a week later and he said, you want to come and see me? And he told me about this. And he said, I thank God that he's graced me to, to be humble enough to realize that the motive of my heart wasn't right. But now I'm free. And I want to challenge you, you know, before God, look at this. We want to see true freedom coming to people. So when we look at Abraham, and, and I look at this from a contentment perspective, not trying to become big or anything, just living life, knowing, you know, God grows stuff, and where there is life, there's just natural growth and all those kind of things. Looking at Abraham, and I want to tell you, I cannot see whatsoever how we can ever look at Hebrews 7, and Genesis 14 and say that we need to give 10% or that should you be a believer, you can, you, 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 there's this thing of giving 10% to God. 
There is no link. There's no correlation. It, is, it makes no sense. It makes no interpretation sense. You know, if we look at interpretation of Scripture, let me, let me, let me look at this. You know, <clears throat> if we look at interpretation of Scripture and we say that Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, therefore we must pay tithes to the local church. It must be from a perspective where uh, um, something uh, uh, forces us and draws us to see that because it's just not written there. It's not written there. There's not one example in the New Testament of it whatsoever. Uh, the apostle never mentioned, none of the apostles ever mentioned tithing towards a church. Never have they ever indicated that tithing is money. It's not there. Yet it is one of the biggest things in the church. And I want to submit to you that I think that is a fruit of corrupted wisdom. Where we don't think straight anymore. Where we've been so corrupted with a desire for more. Because we've got this, uh, this mentality that unless we win the world today, you know, uh, you, you know, we are not obeying the command of God. We make the salvation of other people our responsibility in the sense of, you know, if I don't win everybody, then nobody's going to be won. Instead of where we look at a, a responsible life would be a life where we say, I make my members available for the righteousness of God and I do as I feel in my heart for today and I give no thought of the tomorrow. And just live that eternal life today. Glory to God. Now, Let's look, you know, at, 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 at Abraham and we look at what I think is corrupted wisdom. We, in our wisdom, can say, well, if Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, you know, and the law was given by Moses, then Abraham must have lived under grace. Wherein the Bible is so clear, it says grace came by Jesus Christ. We look at the Abraham system where he lived, he lived and honored Canaanite priests and all those kind of things. You know, built altars, sacrificed animals, and even was circumcised. Then we would say, no, 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 no. Those things stay there and we only bring the tithe over into the New Testament. Because Abraham lived by grace. If Abraham lived by grace, you know, then what's good for the one is good for all. If Abraham lived by grace because the law was not given yet, then under what did the Gentiles live to whom the law was never given? Grace? No. Grace came by Jesus Christ. But I find that if we, wanna, if we want to bring in, if, if we've got a system of bigger is better, if we've got a system of driving a ministry, we, wanna, we need funding for that. And we think of where we're going to get this and what worked in the old way of manipulation and control out of the old tithing system and sowing reaping system, it worked. It did bring in some money. Now we think, well, that worked and... Um, I, I need to, I don't think cognitively we do this, but this is what happens in our subconscious mind. We need to have to find some door for that system, you know, to come and, and help us here. We don't need that. We don't need that.
I believe it's born from corrupted wisdom and we can have the truth and we can see the church living in true generosity. I want to say Dynamic Love Ministries is fully sponsored by people that don't believe in tithing or sowing and reaping that's been healed from that teaching of the effect it had in their life and they, they have been set free and it's just the generous giving that makes this possible and our ministry is growing. Even speaking against the old system, we are still growing, reaching more. It, it's amazing. Grace works. <laughs> Glory to God. Right, so we, we, we say the Gentiles weren't under grace, but we say Abraham was under grace. Now, Abraham's righteousness is not the righteousness we have today. His faith was accounted to him for righteousness. He was not made the righteousness of God. There's a very, very big difference. And this is a, I didn't make a two-part series in explaining the different righteousnesses there is. Paul says there's no one righteous, no, not one. Does that include Abraham? Yes, it includes Abraham. There was no one righteous, no, not one. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, meaning there was no one righteous. Well, the righteous is the had to possess. Now, we have the Holy Spirit as the proof of our immortality and that we can never die. Even if we die, we shall live, meaning that we have attained unto the very righteousness of God and that we were made or created by the righteousness of God, which Abraham never had. But it was a righteous thing to believe. And now it will be a righteous thing for us to say we don't try and follow the law anymore, but we believe. That's what the whole of Romans 4 is actually about. But when we have a mindset of, of I, I, I need to have this, even if it's not cognitive, you must realize we're talking about a seed that gives thoughts to us where we, from where we live. We will love, we will say, we will look at Hebrews 7, you know, when I read Hebrews 7, I think I read Hebrews 7 30 times. I looked at the Greek, Greek words there. I looked at the Hebrew cross-references. Um, nowhere is there any indication in Hebrews 7 that we must tithe. He's talking about the order of Melchizedek, and we're going to look at that right now. Now, first of all, let's quickly go to, um, to Abraham again. I'll touch on Abraham, and we go to Hebrews 7. We're going to end off with Hebrews 7. That might even take, take some time. Um, we've, you know, when I look at, at Abraham and where he lived, Abraham partook of what we call the kingly tithe. And the kingly tithe, and that, that's what he gave, was a way in which you honored a king. In that time, you had to give 10% of the spoils of war to your king. If you didn't do it, you became an enemy of the king. Now, this we can read in, in a lot of other texts that was written in, uh, about that time, you know, outside of the Bible. There's just many. Just go on to Google type in there the Babylonian tithe or the Canaanite tithe system and you will see how much proof there is of this. Um, it is like that. It's even in the Bible. Um, let me see if I can find the verse there. 
it's in Samuel here, and I'm going to just read it to you from 1 Samuel. It says, And Samuel told the words of the Lord unto the people and asked, that asked him for a king. You see, here we look at the people that just had judges. They had no king. And they look at the Canaanite kings, and they said, We want a, Canaanite, we want a king like the Canaanite kings. And then what God was actually saying to him is, Listen, if you want a Canaanite king, you're going to have the Canaanite system. And this is what, he, what the system would look like. And God says, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. If you want a king, this is how kings work. He shall take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots and for his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties. He will have the system of hierarchy. <laughs> um, let's go to uh, verse 14. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your... Uh, yeah. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And listen to this, here is verse 15. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyard and give them to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men, ser men servants and your maidservants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to work. And he will take the tenth of your sheep, and you shall be his servants. So you see here that we can clearly see that the, the, the Jews didn't want, or God didn't want them to partake of, um, to have a king outside of God over them. And when God was their king, he didn't come and live with this slavery over them. He wanted to be good to them, although they was even under the law in that time. So this was talking about a different kind of a tithe. This was a tithe Abraham paid, the Canaanite tithe, wherein you honor your king with 10%. Now, Paul comes, or let's say Paul wrote Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews, he came and he used the system where you give 10% and in that acknowledges that person as higher. Um, you know, also, uh, in, in, in Jewish times, you could not have the lesser bless the greater. That, that couldn't exist. The greater always blessed the lesser. And Melchizedek came and he declared Abraham as blessed. So he blessed Abraham um, according to Judaism. That means that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham and that he was someone that Abraham looked up to. That's all that it is. That's all that Paul wants to use in Hebrews 7. He just wants to say that Abraham was greater than I mean, I mean, Melchizedek was someone that Abraham looked up to. And then we find in Psalms that the, the psalmist comes and he prophesies, he says, there shall still arise a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, what is the order of Melchizedek? Now, when you look at Melchizedek, Melchizedek was not Jesus. He was also, he was, the Bible says, he was, he had the likeness of Jesus and was in the likeness of the Son of God with eternal life in type and shadow. Do you know that Jesus Christ, you know, is God's only begotten Son? And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That was Jesus, not Melchizedek. 
Melchizedek is just a type and a shadow. As what Lucifer would be a type and a shadow, as what David would be a type and a shadow, as what Benjamin would be a type and a shadow, he was a type and a shadow of an undying priesthood. Now, if, the Melchizedek, if Melchizedek never died and he was God's only high priest, why was there need for the Levitical priesthood? There was no need for a Levitical priesthood because the perfect priest was already on the earth. Do you see how our wisdom gets corrupted? You know, and we want to see something and we will just see it will just be perfect sense. You know, here the Levitical system ended and a new system came. The new system under the Levitical system we tithed, you know, under the, uh, 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 the system which was from always, we, we think, which, which is the priesthood that, that is just there all the time. You know, we, we say, well, here he tithed to, actually, you, it, it, I mean, he tithed to um, Melchizedek, which was a priest of that time, like all the other priests, and he gave him 10%, honor him as a big, good guy, and now we say, that means we must give 10% to the local church. How do we connect these things? There is no reference to it. The context of Hebrews 7 you know, is so clear. And, and, and let me read it to you. All that he wants to do there, he wants to tell them that the Melchizedek, Melchizedek was a priest of which had no genealogy recorded. No father, father, no mother, made like unto the Son of God, as if he never was born and never died. We've got no record of his priesthood whatsoever. There's no genealogy of his priesthood. And now he wants to come and say that Jesus comes in the same order of Melchizedek. The whole thing of Hebrews 7 is about the order of Melchizedek. What was the order of Melchizedek? A priest outside of the Levitical priesthood. That's the one. And then a priest of which genealogy was not written down in the Levitical order. So here Jesus comes and he is a priest in the very same order. His lineage does not come from Levi, but from Judah. And he was raised from the dead, meaning he never dies. So that means the fact that he's got immortal life in human flesh is the fulfillment of that kind of a priesthood, which is a priest that can never die. That's all that Romans, Hebrews 7 wants to say. It doesn't say we need to tithe to him. The tithe was only used to say, and this is the whole thing about it, that, remember, here comes, here comes the, uh, the, 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 the apostle and he preaches to the people, the, the Hebrews, and he says to them, listen, the, Jesus came and ended the whole Levitical system. Then they would say, by what authority? What makes him end this? What power does he have over the Levitical priesthood? Because we know God gave these laws to Moses. We need somebody greater than Moses. We need somebody greater than Levi to come and change this. Who's got authority to say this ends now? Only somebody that is greater than Levi. Now, here he comes and he uses the tithe as a system of honoring and defining bigger, and he says, look at this, he says, Abraham said that Melchizedek was bigger than Abraham. Then, Levi was still in the loins of Abraham when Abraham did this, meaning that if Levi is the son of Abraham, then Abraham is higher than Levi. And 
Even now we find people in this world, all of them that's under the law then, gave pay tithes, and even then when the apostle wrote this, referring to the Levitical tithe system that they paid to the, or, or ate basically, um, you know, was still active then. So the only person that could ever change this is if he's of a higher order than the order of Aaron, or the Levitical order. Now there was only one that could ever be higher than that, and that is a new kind of a priest. And that would be the order of Melchizedek. He didn't say Melchizedek. He says the order. What is the order? The order is, there has to come a priest that can never die. That order would be, have the authority to end the Levitical priesthood. This, the Jews didn't even know. The apostle used this reasoning in explaining the fulfillment of the law. Now how can we use Hebrews 7, connected to Genesis 14, and say that you actually owe God 10% of your money? It's corrupted wisdom. It's not in line with the nature of God, where God says, I'm your father, and I will meet all your need. Don't worry about tomorrow or any of those things. I will bring forth generosity in people. I will allow that that preachers can receive from people who feel generous, and that will be more than enough to fund the winning of the world. Why do we have to have this corrupted wisdom? Now, let, let me read uh, uh, Hebrews 7, and let me, I think I've got it um, in the message. Yes, Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of the highest God. He met Abraham, who was returning from the royal massacre, and gave him blessings. So here, you know, um, he blessed Abraham. And we know the Bible says that the lesser is blessed by the greater. Jesus comes in the authority of the greater. He's got power to change the priesthood. And if there's a new priest, there'll be a new set of laws. Because when the... Uh, um, I, I want to tell you, when there was... Uh, the, the, the kingly law, or the Canaanite kingly law, you know, you don't want that. God even says here in 1 Samuel, you don't want the kingly law where, where, where uh, you have got a Canaanite kind of a kingly system where you have to give 10%. Where you need to pay 10% to honor your king. Why do you want that? Let me be your God. You don't want that. And if the priesthood changes, you know there's by necessity also a change of law. And do you think that we are accepting the Canaanite laws on how they did things? No. We're not going to accept those laws, you know, where we honor our king by giving him 10% of our money. It's never preached in the New Testament ever, not once ever was it preached. I've challenged people, and I challenge you, my friend, as you watch this, show me one verse in the Bible where we see um, that it says, because 10% was paid to, the, to Melchizedek by Abraham, we must pay 10% to the local church. I want one verse or one indication of that. There is just nothing yet. It becomes the foundation of all money in the church. Why? Why shall we have something that's never mentioned and then guilt goes with it? If you don't do it, you don't have the right revelation. And people must live in guilt. 
That is wrong. God has got another system. It's, it's, it's called, uh, it's, it's in the order of Melchizedek with love and peace and grace and mercy funded by a system where God lives in you. Amen. You know, when we look at the, and this is what he says, if there's a new priest, there is by necessity a new law. We need to get in our mind that Melchizedek was not Jesus. If Melchizedek was Jesus, there was no need. And if, you, if Melchizedek, the high priest of God, was Jesus himself, you know, or um, the, the perfect priest, then there was no need for the order of Aaron. When the order of Aaron came in, the laws came in. Now a new priest comes unto the order of an undying life. And he's got his own new laws. And that law he has is the law of life, which means I will live my life in you. As pertaining to money, you will feel what generosity really feels like. You will know what no fear is when it comes to your money. You will know what it is to love money, to love people with your stuff and not love money. You will know what it is to love in your giving because I will live in you. That's the new law. It's called the law of life. It's the principle of should I believe this, I shall be born of this truth. That's the law of this new high priest. By necessity was there a change of law when there was a change of priesthood. That's Hebrews 7. He's not trying to implement the Canaanite tithing system of which God warned people in Samuel. You know, in, 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 in 1 Samuel 8. Melchizedek was king of Salem, the peace of the highest God. He met Abraham who was returning from the royal massacre and gave him blessings. Abraham in turn gave him tenth of the spoils. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Um, Salem means peace. So he is king of peace. You know we have made our high priest not the king of peace because we owe him 10%. Melchizedek towers out of the past, without record of family ties, no account of beginning or of end. In this way, he is like the Son of God, one huge priestly presence dominating the landscape always. You realize just how great this Melchizedek is when you see Father Abraham gave him a tenth of the captured treasure. So it says, greatness, well, I declare him great, very big guy. Priest, uh, um, priest descended from uh, priest descended from Levi, commanded by law to collect tithes from the people, even though they were, they are all more or less equals, priests and people, having a common father in Abraham. So he says here, listen, we see here that all these people that tithed in Levi had a common father in Abraham. And then this guy, Abraham honored. In other words, Abraham saw him as bigger than himself. But this man, a complete outsider, collected tithes from Abraham and blessed him, the one to whom the promise had been given. It acts, uh, in acts of blessing, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Do you see here, he's trying to say that Abraham, you know, saw Melchizedek as greater. Or look at it this way, we pay our tithes to priests who die, but Abraham paid tithes to a priest who, the scripture says, lives. 
ultimately, you could even say that since Levi descended from Abraham, who paid tithes to Melchizedek, when we pay tithes to our uh, priestly tribe of Levi, they end up with Melchizedek. So you see here, he doesn't even say we pay tithes to the church. He says pay tithes, tithes to Melchizedek and the priest, and he says that that priestly order is forever an undying order. Where man was not having a relationship with God based on that order, we still, there was no high priest. We needed a high priest in that order with an undying human body and that would be Jesus and only Jesus. If the priesthood of Levi and Aaron, which provided a framework for giving of the law, could really make people perfect, there would have been no need for a new priesthood like that of Melchizedek. Like, I love what he says here, like that of Melchizedek. But since it didn't get the job done, there was a, ch a change of priesthood which brought with it a radical new kind of a law. There's no way of understanding this terms of the old Levitical priesthood, which is where, they, where there is nothing, oh, sorry, verse 13, there is no way of understanding this in terms of old Levitical priesthood. You cannot understand this in that system, which is where there is nothing in Jesus, family tree connected him with a priestly line. Do you see there? There's nothing in, the, in, 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 in Jesus's, you can't understand this from a Levitical priesthood, how Jesus could become the high priest. You need to have another, another system, a system where we, a priesthood where we can, we don't find who the mother and the father is basically. And here we find Jesus came in that order. Listen to verse 15. But Melchizedek's story provides a perfect analogy. Jesus, a priest like Melchizedek, not by genealogical descent, but by sheer force of resurrection life. He lives. Priest forever in the royal order of Melchizedek, meaning he cannot die. The former way of doing things, a system of commandments that never worked out the way it was supposed to, was set aside. The law brought nothing to maturity. Another way, Jesus a way that does work, that brings things right into the presence of God, is put in its place. The old priesthood of Aaron perpetuated itself automatically, father to son, without explicit confirmation by God. So here we can clearly see people, and, and that's, that's basically the end of my message. I want to say this, and let's wrap this up. When we have a belief system of bigger is better, we are bound to have corrupted wisdom. And from corrupted wisdom, we will start to see things in Scripture that's not there. To, and, and that will be the enemy's way to keep his system running, even in our grace churches. Let us be set free. And let us have the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and see the fruit of true generosity. The sooner we submit to this truth, the sooner we will see God's way of financial contribution and prosperity in the church. And I'll say this again. If you cannot fund your television program or your television station or your church, be it small or be it big, you know, um, if, if you cannot fund it by grace and by the system God has placed there, which, which is free will giving only.
then you either have a system that is a word that's not from God to start that thing, or um, you know you're not hearing God and how to how to do it. Something is not right there. If you if grace cannot fund your vision, your vision might not be of grace, or you are in too big hurry and you're really chasing off the big. I want to say again, in conclusion, I'm not saying we cannot have big. My ministry is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, and we're seeing more and more people reached. And I'm not sitting here, you know, um, I must reach a million by the end of the year, or I must, if I do that, I tell you, I'm set up for corrupted wisdom. Contentment with godliness is great gain. Do you, <laughs> you know, you, you can't even say this the other way around, because the moment you say it the other way around, it's not the truth anymore. Do you want great gain? Be content and be godly. That is wrong. You know, you twisted the whole thing because you're still making gain your end goal. No, no. I want to, this is the truth. Contentment with godliness is great gain. Enjoy your church. Stop to chase after big. Stop to chase after more all the time. Enjoy your church. And when the vision comes and say, man, we're starting a radio station. You know, I've got this passion. We're going to reach people with this radio station. This is what's happening to us today. And this is our vision for now. What do you do? You, 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 you start your radio station and the money that there is, you know, will be by grace, will fund it. That's just the way I see it. Grace will fund it. And if you must go to some system where you have to preach, you know, a, a thing of, you know, you must be very responsible because if you don't give to this church then we can't preach the gospel and people go to hell. My goodness. It is not God. It is not God. I want to challenge anybody that wants to start a church or maybe you're moving from one town to another town and you're taking over another church. Use this opportunity to start the thing right so that we can have true freedom and all people can really walk in the fullness of what God has given for them. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. Uh, I say this with a great passion in my heart for true freedom. And I want to just say this to you. If you expecting me, and, and I mean, um, I, I was in a conversation with somebody in the week that was challenging me, you know, on um, how I say things. Uh, and, and not so much on what I say, but how I say things, because people might get offended and, and not understand. You know, I want to say this, that doesn't matter how soft you say, your system is wrong. It's actually finding its, th its source in Satan. It's not going to be nice. And we need to realize that. We need to realize that. So let us have the freedom that God has intended for us. Let me say this uh, in closure. If you, out of free will, wanted to give 10% of your money to a church, because, not because they, they feel you've paid, you need to pay a tithe to Abraham or any of those things. You just feel generous and you feel that is a good amount for you, what you can afford, and you can do that cheerfully. I've got no problem with that. I've got no problem with that. I must say, 
that it is interesting that we will find 10% just as a, a thing. Why 10%? You know, I think it's because of the influence of the years and years of tithing preaching. It's still something there, you know. And, but, but I still say, if that is what you felt as what you want to generously give because of, you, because of the nature of, God's, of God, generosity in you, you want to do that, man, I can even receive that. What I mean by that is in the context of what I've always preached, I don't receive money from people if I feel that they're not giving cheerfully. You cannot tithe to me as in I pay 10% because I feel, you know, God's, uh, you, you know, I, I owe my 10% to God. No, if you want to support Dynamic Love Ministries because you feel, man, I'm learning here and I want to give to the one that preaches to me and it's not a big thing if he's given to me spiritual blessings, you know, um, it's not a big thing to me, it's still, it's small, it's not big, it's not, if it's a big thing, we don't want it. If it's a small thing, in other words, it's not big for me. I can easily do this. With joy in my heart, I want to sponsor Dynamic Love Ministries. We can receive it. I can proudly say that Dynamic Love Ministries is funded by people that don't believe in tithing or sowing and reaping. And it's growing. Glory to God. Grace works. Amen and amen. God bless you and please send this link to as many people as possible. I know this can uh, cause a bit of a stir, but let it happen. The Bible says, yet once more, not just heaven, but heaven and earth is shaken. So, you know, and whatsoever is not of righteousness and of grace is not going to stand. So I want to say this to you, the, the tithing ship is sinking. The tithing ship is sinking, it's always been sinking, and the little lost nose is sticking out. You know, and let us not hold onto the little nose and let it suck us down. It is sinking, you can jump off that boat. If you're going to cling to that, I'm going to guarantee you, you're going to have problems. You as a church leader are going to go through hard times. You're going to find people rebelling against your system. You're going to find people want to leave your church. Not God, God, God is cursing you. It's just people would say, I don't want to hear of this tithe thing every Sunday before I uh, get the message because I don't believe in that anymore. And they will feel upset and they will leave. And what's going to happen then is, uh, you know, it's going to cause, cause a, 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 a friction in the, the, the grace circles because we're going to find... You know, one speaking against the other one all the time and, and we're going to say this guy split my church and this guy got 20 people to leave my church because of his teaching on money and all those kind of things. Let us see the love of Jesus and the freedom of Jesus and walk in that. You are deeply loved by God. You are highly appreciated. And even if you were caught up in the system, you are not the bad person. It is the system that abused you and today is your day of freedom. God bless you.